Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Courtney Olson. She is the woman with the world's deadliest thighs, as said by the great and venerable Stan Lee. Needless to say, we talked a little bit about uh, bodybuilding. Uh, we definitely talked about sobriety, recovery, alcoholism, drug abuse, all the other rough and uh, nasty things that often come along with that, but also a lot of the awesome and amazing and inspiring things that come along with recovery. We also talked a little bit about body image and finding your higher power, not always at the gym, but um, figuring out what is the best way to love yourself and ultimately be able to love others. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Courtney Olson. Thanks for being here. You are my first Trans-Pacific mm-hmm. interview. That's cool. We made I think so. For- yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And you are you are in Australia. I am. And I am. Yeah. It took me a couple of tries. You you tried to explain it to me a few times about the time difference and. It only took me a few times to figure it out. And it's like, well, it's tomorrow, but it's six hours ago. That's impressive. I I struggle with math and I still count on my fingers. And like I tell the teenagers I work with, you can be a successful CEO and still count on your fingers. Uh, But it's probably my nemesis, you know? So that's the easiest way for me to figure it out whenever I'm out here is, yes, I'm six hours behind you, but the day ahead. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. you, what are you, you're, you're not from there, but you're, you're out there currently for, for what? That's right. So uh, a couple of different reasons. I, my husband, I met my husband out here, uh, almost 11 years ago and we got married after being together for four months, which my first sponsor, um, I mean, I've had many sponsors before this sponsor, but this last time around when it actually stuck, she said to me in early days, she said, oh my Christ, that's the most alcoholic thing I've ever heard. And I remember getting so pissed off at her. I was like, oh my God, how dare you? You know, how dare you judge me? But of course, you know, as we get older and get some time and years under our belts, we do realize that yes, that was a very bold move. It could have gone very poorly. So my husband is, uh, he's actually English, but he's an Australian citizen and his kid are out here. Um, and we have a business that's global. Uh, so we, um, come out here and my dogs are out here. So my children are out here. Um, so we go in between the two, it sounds rather glamorous and I suppose, you know, it absolutely can be for some people, but, uh, to me, it's just, you know, this is another location. I'm not an outdoorsy person. And especially when it comes to Australia, um, I tend to stay, (laughs) stay indoors. Really? I do. It's really quite pathetic. Um, you know, John, my partner, um, he is not one of us, although, you know, a majority of his life was spent going out and being in pubs and, you know, playing darts and pool and all that kind of stuff and golf and soccer and, you know, being in and amongst the, the lime, the limelight with, you know, the drink. And so now that he's got me, yeah, I feel like a bit of a dead weight because I, you know, you just have to learn to to relive your life. And of course I do all sorts of things sober now and have a life beyond my wildest dreams, but the pair of us tend to, um, neither one of us are on the adventurous side, if you will. And he doesn't swim. And I, for whatever reason, even though I grew up in the country, I grew up in Northern California, uh, where, you know, the redwoods are as big as, something you could drive a car through and love nature and love getting dirty. But for whatever reason, as I've gotten older, (laughs) you know, it's become so easy to just, I don't say isolate, but we don't push each other to go out and, you know, do things per se. And besides the beach here, the jellyfish, you know, they wash up in droves and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not getting in that water. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I guess it is true that everything's trying to kill you in Australia to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, That actually is real life. (laughs) I know what you mean about the redwoods too. I live in Sonoma County and, um, yes, I do. Yes. So, um, 
I get to see them semi regularly. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the 707 down in that area. I worked for uh, Hansel Auto Group for several years. I went to Sonoma State University, um, all of which I was completely inebriated through and um, barely remember that whole 10 year period of my life. So, so <laughs> yeah, so speaking of inebriation, um, I, people who, who listen to the show know that one of my favorite first questions to ask people is what is their earliest, what is your earliest memory of alcohol? Not necessarily your first drunk, but, um, how was it introduced to you as a, as a young child? If, or yeah. when, when was it introduced to you? That's a great question. Uh, life in the fast lane. And I just want to point out to our listeners that if it sounds like I've caught in mouth, I do. And it is really annoying. I'm going through a period of my life right now um, that most women experience. Evidently, it's a phenomenon in the Western world more so than the rest of the world. But it's this perimenopause where um, now I don't sleep much like I did mm. when I was you know, drinking and using drugs, except for there's no fun to it. You just lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and, uh, the medication that I've been taking to attempt to sleep, which isn't working has a lingering effect. So I'll kind of just point that out as we do, we like to make sure, you know, we're, we're transparent and, um, all facets, but anyway, uh, my first introduction was, Oh God, very young. You know, my, um, one of my parents, is an alcoholic and uh, was a severe alcoholic, still high functioning, but um, shocking. And it was the eighties, you know, it was life in the fast lane then. So, um, and, and growing up in a small town, you know, that's, that's what you do in the country. You know, all of our parents would get together and have rip roaring parties and snort Coke along with the family doctor you know, blast some eagles and, uh, us kids would shred around and watch them all get hammered off their ass. And that was that. So, I mean, that was my, my first introduction. And then my brother tells the story that I was a baby and, um, I kept urging, um, I think it was my dad. I wanted to take a bite of an onion and I wouldn't stop, you know, addressing it and saying want, want or whatever. And he ended up giving me a bite of it. And then, uh, of course that was a horrible experience. And then he gave me his beer to wash it down. So whether or not that's true, who knows? There's so many of those stories where, right. you know, my parents are like, mm, yeah, I don't really remember. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I could have had my first drink at a, at a very young age, but, uh, my actual first drunk was, uh, when I was 12 with a cousin who had a fake ID with Jack Daniels. And that was just her and I in the back of my grandma's house <laughs> getting absolutely twatted. And then the next day her dragging me on this massive hike, uh, to walk it off. And mm. I was like, never again, this is horrible. Adults are stupid. This is the dumbest thing ever. You know, I was, I don't recall. I don't have one of those stories where it was like, yeah, I took my first drink and I fell in love and I knew this was going to be, this was it. I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I, I don't recall any of that. I just remember the next morning being absolutely convinced that I was going to die. So yeah, that's how that went down. Huh. And so, so the, at that point, it's not, like you said, you're not ready to go. And, and how many, how much longer before it became, um, something that was exciting or interesting or comforting? Yeah, uh, not long. I mean, it was uh, my junior year of high school. There were a few parties, <clears throat> you know, and I had tried speed once. I know we're talking about alcohol here. And, you know, there's a, a couple of different schools of thought with this, right? It's like if you walk into a meeting, you know, we uh, keep it to alcohol because if you're brand new and you don't understand, then you'll be like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. But, right. you know, seeing that so many of us in this day and age is have dual, whether you want to call it diagnosis, because in my book, it's all the same stuff, you know, um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, um, we'll, we'll keep it to alcohol, but um, drugs is a huge part of my story because it was all driven by body image and uh, methamphetamine was the choice because I'd lost so much weight. Um, so it was very scholastic outgoing and I actually come to think of it, it was junior high. There were a few instances where, you know, we snuck beer and there were older guys 
one in particular that I recall I was 13 and they were 21 buying us beer, you know, and when, right. When you look back at it, you're like, Whoa, Oh my God. That's like straight up pedophilia. Um, trying to get in our pants. And as a young person, you just don't think anything of it. You're just like, Oh, this is really cool. I'm going to drink beer with older guys. It's like, Oh, it's so, so sad. So anyway, um, fast forward to high school, my senior year, I was the ASP president in a Christian rock band, um, started the first girls golf team, was the captain of the cheerleading team. I mean, on and on. I was going to be the first female president of the United States of America. And that was my goal since I was a child. And um, long story short, I had been introduced to speed, as I said, and even though I knew just say no, you know, um, I, I did it and I kept doing it because I lost weight and lost my appetite. And so at the end of the year, a teacher finally called me out and said, Hey, you know, you're either a severe alcoholic or you're smoking speed, which is it. And of course I told him, and he said, well, do you want us to tell your parents or do you want to see a drug counselor? And I said, see a drug counselor, of course. Yeah. Don't tell my mom and dad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A good old private Catholic high school. And so that's what I did. And this drug counselor said, right. Why'd you do it? I said, I lost weight. He said, great. I have the perfect solution for you. Uh, I know this guy, he has a boxing class and he's an ex heroin junkie and a golden glove champion. And he's married to a nurse. What could possibly go wrong? Right. I mean, a nun, not a nurse. (laughs) Just wanted to give you a little bit of a suspense there. (laughs) Yeah. We went from a nurse to a nun. What could go wrong? And, um, long story short, this guy was 72 and I was 17. Actually at the time I was 16. Um, I hadn't, hadn't quite turned 17 yet. And, uh, yeah, I had three days clean when I went to his class and, um, he took a major liking to me. And of course invited me over to his house to watch boxing tapes and was going to make me his last prize fighter before he retired. And so to me, I thought, wow, this is why I threw away all my scholarships and I went through all this pain is so I could become a world champion boxer and share my story with young girls so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. And this is why I went and got KO tattooed under Prince's hair right here um, shortly after this event happened. So what happened was, is I got to his house and um, he had basically drugged me. This man had drugged me and I woke up with him inside of me, which is a horrible thing to say out loud. And I know a lot of people need trigger warnings this day and age, but unfortunately in my experience, life doesn't have a trigger warning, you know, and it was something that I had to experience and then walk through. And it is now why I am where I am today, you know, living a life, as I said, beyond my wildest dreams. So at the time, yes, it was horrific. And it was that event that drove me to become an alcoholic because I put down the methamphetamines, but when I got to Sonoma state, which to me was a step down, I was supposed to be going to Stanford, you know? So I had an identity crisis, um, completely lost, thought it was my fault because the guy never at the time I had a pager, you know, you might remember that. I do call the house. He didn't page me. And I thought I let him on. It was my fault. And so, um, long story short, got to Sonoma state and walked straight into one of my parents' shoes and literally became the spitting image of them and started drinking, um, 10 o'clock in the morning till, you know, I passed out and I became a blackout drinker from that point, moving forward, straight out the gates. And, you know, that was, I could tell you a gazillion stories. And in sure. fact, they're all in my, they're all in my memoir. So we'll just go ahead and bypass that. Cause we all have a drunk log, you know? Yes. So yes, we do. We, yeah. How we all got here and, you know, earned our chair is all uh, relative, but you know, if you are in a, a room and you are in a meeting, there is a goddamn good chance that you earned your chair and you, you belong here, you know? So I've wrecked wrecked five Hondas, including one motorcycle. That's what this bump is from. I mean, just wild, wild, wild things. And, um, you know, uh, I'm sure this is a question you ask people and I should just let you ask it, but I'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) what brought me to my, 
to a screeching halt finally because when well, I turned, yeah what was the last straw yeah the last straw because I you know after a few brushes with death one friend um wrecked a honda on Laytonville outside of Laytonville actually and now there's a cross there it took about a year or two after we went off the embankment somebody else did too but they hit the tree that we hit with our wing mirror and they didn't make it so um you know it was that and then I got a DUI and then I, you know, a few other things and said, all right, I need to go to rehab. And that was literally the day after I turned 21. <laughs> so this, this, I, this tear was this particular one only lasted three, four years from yeah. Sonoma state. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause okay. it, I went downhill pretty quickly. I mean, I, um, Jesus. then got back on speed. And so, cause previously when I was using drugs, it was just the drugs, um, mm-hmm. you know, the drug dealers would always try and get us young girls to drink. And we were like, no, we didn't want to mess up our high. And then obviously it gets too much and then you need to drink to level out and feel normal. I, so yes. then it, yeah, then it was, I know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Then it yes, I do. Drinking and drugs. Holy mm-hmm. moly. Yes. So uh, that came to a screeching halt pretty quickly. And I realized after doing a number of geographicals, I had to flee the state of Oregon for some tweaker stuff and writing bad checks of dead people and all sorts of stuff. And so I got to rehab. And of course, I got 90 days up and lived with a alcoholic cousin who thought she was helping and didn't know. And then said, oh, Courtney's been doing so good. I think she deserves a glass of wine. And then that kicked me straight back off for another uh, six years. And um, the thing of it is, is that I came to a screeching halt on July 4th, 2007, because I had four felonies hanging over my head, which of course weren't my fault. And I was able to prove that, but it was enough of an eye-awakening experience to say, what the hell am I doing? And then of course I got another 90 days up and then I hurt my back wrestling and I became addicted to pain pills because John, that wasn't my problem. My problem was alcohol and methamphetamines and my name was on the bottle, right? So it was super easy to justify. And then the parent who had yet to um, fully concede and surrender, even though they got sober, um, I began taking pain pills with as well. So then that turned into a a horrific codependent toxic relationship. And I did that for a couple of years before it turned into Oxycontin and that landed me on my ass. And that was finally uh, June uh, 14th, 2010. So that was my last go around, you know, and at that point I knew what I had to do. I was still super um, unwilling to fully surrender, you know, I mean, I know I didn't want to die, yeah. but I am such a special person in my mind that I wanted to do things my way, you know, and I tried making the gym, my higher power and all the rest of it. And so it really wasn't until, um, I moved out to Australia after, you know, being, I was clean for six months when I met my husband and, um, and then I, I wound up getting married and, you know, after four months and moved out here and the recovery out here was amazing. And I met a woman who's actually in San Francisco now, but, um, she was living down here and she was, you know, cussing up a storm and she was this feisty Latina young woman that had like four years at the time. And I thought, my God, this was the first time I had found somebody who had what I wanted. Right. Yes. People Mm -hmm. throw themselves at me all the time and say, do you have a sponsor? Let me be your temporary sponsor. And I just was like, middle fingers up in the air. You don't have anything that I want. Get away from me. I just hated everybody, everything, you know, uh, all the stuff we do. And so she had what I wanted. And I finally said, you know, will you work with me? And I started working the steps. And of course, that's when my life changed and this thing really stuck. So, so. You mentioned making the gym your higher power, and I know that it's often suggested to those of us who have difficulty with higher power or um, are still trying to formulate it or are resisting it entirely that we pick something, right? Um, and, And sometimes it's like, pick the group of drunks, right? Or pick the doorknob or pick something. And so you pick something. 
And I've also heard stories of people who have put working out, like my workout is my, uh, is my, my sobriety is my recovery. Like I don't, it's my church. Right. And that does seem to work for a while for some people, (laughs) but it ultimately, I mean, so what was the, like, what was the, how did it work at first and how did it end up not working? That's a great question. And, you know, I just want to point out that interviewing people is a skill and um, you're really remarkable at it. Um, I should just say you are remarkable at it because when we say really, it kind of takes away from the emphasis of what we're saying. But, you know, you picking up on that and still listening and the flow of it all. um, I'm in awe. So congratulations. Thank you. I think I've only asked you three questions, but I'll take it. Um, (laughs) Well, they're great ones. So thank you. Uh, But that is a a wonderful question because obviously for a majority of us, it's the number one thing we struggle with. It was the number one thing I struggled with because in high school and going to a private Catholic school, I, um, you know, I grew up going to Sunday school a handful of times, um, uh, distant relatives who were, you know, preachers and, but my parents, it was, wasn't a thing, you know? And so when I went to high school and I joined a Christian rock band, I had a few spiritual experiences. I was baptized at 15. Um, and I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when I tried to go back to that, it was felt so empty and fake and pushed and just ridiculous. You know, I just like, Uh, and then I made the mistake of going down the rabbit hole and watching a bunch of conspiracies. So like all this QAnon stuff, I was up in that in like 2007, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, Oh, so you were on like the 4chan boards. I, yes. uh, I mean, it was, I distracted myself with YouTube and I mean, Mm -hmm. I literally did that all 2011 in my first year of sobriety trying to control something else, Anything. but myself, you know, right. wanting to stand on the corner and tell people, do you know that fluoride in your toothpaste brought your pineal gland? And it's just, I mean, it was absurd. So going back to your original question, um, making the gym, my higher power, it worked for a short period of time, of course, but the challenge with that is I was completely focused on the outside as opposed to the inside. Right. So until I started working the steps, um, I was doing absolutely no work on the inside and I was purely looking for validation from the outside. And I mean, I even had a job, John, of making $500 an hour standing around and flexing my muscles. Like, I know it sounds absurd and it, it, quite frankly, it is. And again, that's why I wrote my book is to shine a light on this stuff. The world is not what we think it is, you know, um, it is programmed and designed in such a way for us to feel like we are not desirable, not good enough, never will amount to anything, you know? And so um, even in that position, when I was making a ton of money, it all had to do with my exterior. So the gym then became was something I had to do. Yes. It was a relief of endorphins. And I always encourage people, Hey, you know, uh, working out is a way better addiction than having a meth pipe hanging out of your mouth, you know, or rolling around with a 50, 50 cocktail of, uh, OJ and vodka and drinking taka in the days, you know what I'm saying? But, um, the reality is, is, is hyper gymnasia is another disorder. It's, uh, I, I, I mean, even when I had, four, four or five years of, um, clean time being clean and sober. I was doing Bikram yoga, Brazilian jujitsu and CrossFit all in the same day, like five days a week. I mean, I was training like three, four hours a day for, for what, you know, and then I would go and eat frozen yogurt, put too many shaved almonds on there. And then I'd be walking around feeling my abs being like, Oh my God, are my abs still there. So this is, this is another, I want to, I want to talk to you about body image and, um, and, and all of these things, because I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to my own issues with things like nuts, you know, because they're fat. And so they must be bad for you and you've eaten too many nuts and, um, you know, and so just real quickly, when I got sober, I was about 280 pounds and, um, and I'd been big for a very long time, most of my life that I could remember as an adult. And it wasn't until two, three years, almost four years sober that something clicked in me. A friend of mine 
had, had lost some weight and he was counting calories and he said it worked. And I was like, wow, that's great. I could see it. He looked healthier. He looked happier. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to count the calories for one day. I'm not going to change the way I eat. And it was upwards of 5,000 calories in that day. And that was the moment where I was like, fuck, I'm going to kill myself with food. Yeah. And that was the thing that clicked. And then I think in some ways the counting of calories became my higher power along with running. Yeah. Um, so I, and as long as running worked, I was fine and it was great. And I dropped, I must've dropped 90 pounds in a year almost. Wow. Wow. And which is amazing. Right. But also, um, it I've since gained back, I don't know, probably 30 of those, uh, the pandemic and there was a breakup and there was some isolation and there was some job loss and all of the wonderful things that have happened to so many people, you know, I'm still one of the fortunate ones. right? Right. Um, but I almost feel like I didn't start having body image issues badly until I lost the weight, started counting calories, thinking about food differently and having to have a workout be a part of my life every single day in some way, or else I was a worthless pile of shit. Yep. Cause it was like before I was just some big fat guy and whatever, right. Who couldn't touch his toes. And, um, and then I had that had its own, its own problems, but, um, But I'm just like now hearing you talk about, I'm going to pinch the skin over here and think because I put shaved almonds on my frozen yogurt, yep. I've ruined everything I've done. My four yep. hour workouts for the last week. Yep. hundred percent. You know, <sighs> it's incredible how addiction works, you know, how we are looking for anything to try and control and manage. And it's just a coping mechanism, you know, whether it's a drug addiction or a food addiction or gambling, and it's just something for us to deter our focus and look at something else instead of the root cause and just being able to sit and be still and, and be in our own skin. Um, you know, even my husband who is not, like I said, he's not one of us. I mean, he could qualify for a couple of different programs, I suppose, potentially, but, um, it wasn't until he met me and started training and, you know, got in, he got quite big too. It was, you know, people always be like, wow, your husband's massive. Is he a bodybuilder and so forth? And, um, he, and the first two, three years never, ever spoke a word of, oh, I don't look, I don't look great. I don't like the way that I look you know, and then Mm -hmm. after he got into the gym and became aware of it, um, then it became an issue at times, you know, and sometimes it'll be like, Oh, I don't like the way I look. I've missed that and the other. And so it's so easy to, to fall into that, you know, and it's, again, it's a much easier addiction to manage than drugs and alcohol. But at the same time, I have very, few memories. Cause I didn't, I call it the rainbow bridge. I know a lot of people say that when they talk about their animals passing, but I, I, maybe I should start calling it the purple bridge or something, but I didn't cross over the bridge to freedom from hatred of my body until 2019. And it, you know, how we say sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly for me, it was in my memoir, I end on this scene because it was getting validation from my grandmother, who is someone that I always felt like I disappointed by not going to Stanford. And, you know, I became mm-hmm. just this horrible person. And for whatever reason, I gained her validation. It's, it's a long story. But um, and at that moment, I kind of got a glimpse, my bugbear, my knees, I, I dislike my knees, they're baggy. No matter what I do, I can't build the teardrop muscle, the vastus medialis around the inside of our knee. Um, and that's because I got blacked out drunk, got caught cheating on a boyfriend and kicked the wall barefoot uh, and broke my foot in college, <laughs> Sonoma State. So I walk on the outsides of my feet. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so I caught myself in the mirror and for whatever reason, it didn't really bother me. And normally if I catch myself having, you know, my skin spill over on the side of a pair of shorts that were tight or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as a woman, you know, estrogen and our cycles, this texture of our skin changes frequently, whether we're retaining water or not, so on and so forth. So stuff like that used to literally ruin my entire day and I wouldn't want to leave the house. Um, And for whatever reason, at that moment, it didn't really bother me. 
And from that point moving forward, it's been a completely different experience. And what's crazy is just like how bad it got with drinking, you know, and that's the malady of this dis-ease is we forget how bad it got is the same with body image. I forgot that there were times where John, I was suicidal because I felt so utterly disgusted over how I looked. And I would sit on the closet floor and cry because I couldn't find any jeans to wear to fucking Costco. And, you know, I mean, just in hindsight, you're like, you dumb privileged bitch. Like, what are you serious right now? You know, and and really times have changed, you know, that was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And because we've had all of these awakenings as a collective society around how much privilege we do have and how many other problems there are that exist in the world, it kind of does minimize the shit that we thought was a big deal back in the day. Right. Right. So, but on the other hand, just like everything in life, you know, there are also cons and because of social media, you Mm -hmm. know, kids nowadays have no idea what's real and what's not. And it, what used to take two hours to learn in Adobe you know, not even two hours, two years, people will go to school for Photoshop and Illustrator and all this stuff. Now you can do on an app in five seconds, you know, and shrink your waist and look like a goddamn cloud with 12 year old skin texture. Right. So, um, is it any wonder that kids are cutting themselves at much higher rates and suicide rates are up and all the rest of it. Right. So, but I ask you, can I go back a second? And what was the validation from your grandmother that was so important? Hmm. I started a clothing company based off the back of a program for teenage girls uh, initially. And um, again, it's it's quite a story, but I had um, created this program because I wanted to share everything that wasn't taught to me in school, you know, and educate these girls on alcoholism and addiction and the power of the media, how to be assertive, how to say no and feel good about it, nutrition, fitness, self-defense, basically teaching them the five habits, lessons, and principles that lead to the development of self-love. And after two years of that, a partner got pregnant. We took the same mission and vision and turned it into a clothing line, which is called Girl. And we don't use sizes. We don't use Photoshop. We use all body types. Um, It's a women empowerment clothing line. And it's, it's been remarkable, but the first couple of years, you know, my grandmother, um, I would show her screenshots from people and I'd be like, look, you know, so-and-so said that their daughter stopped cutting themselves or Jessica Willis left her abusive husband and now is running her own business. And, you know, all these things because of the community. Right. And she said to me, you know, you've got to focus on the product, you know, stop making it about you and the philanthropy. You need to look, treat this as a business. And I was so upset because I felt like she, you know, she still didn't get it. And of course, in hindsight, she's absolutely right. If you don't have a, a product that's worthwhile, then you don't have a pot to piss in. But at the time I was just wanting her to see that I was actually making change in the world and that I was doing something with my life and not just scrambling around. Cause if anybody who's watching this is considering starting a clothing line, don't, <laughs> it is the most difficult. It's been more difficult than getting off of Oxycontin, methamphetamine and drinking combined. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, and so at this point in the story, I asked for our, I call them girl army members, not customers, because they're members of the girl army because they are foot soldiers on a mission to share, you know, this thing called the pledge. Um, It's on all of our hang tags and, you know, this concept of um, what girl stands for. And I asked them to write her a birthday card because she was turning 90. And I thought, well, let's let's do a birthday card. This will be cool. So I have like 30 women actually write on a card how the brand has impacted their life. And because she got a medium, she's 90. Yeah. They're not, they're not dealing with cell phones. You know no, what I'm saying? Like, not a, yes, you gotta talk. Yeah. You got to reach people on their level. <laughs> yeah. And so when she got a handwritten <clears throat> card from women and she could um, connect to the content of that stuff, she was then, it was a, it was a whole nother conversation. And she said to me, my God, I am so impressed. And even just saying it, I get choked up because, you know, she would be the one I'd call at 
you know, 11 o'clock at night in a blackout upset about my parent and, you know, how I should have done this and this with my life and whatever. Um, Cause she's so classy and sophisticated. And you remember when the San Bruno fires happened? I don't know that I was here, but I don't know what year that was. There was it was 2010. I wasn't uh, here then. Okay. So there was a big explosion um, in San Bruno. And originally everyone thought there was a terrorist that crashed an airplane. It was actually PG&E had a natural gas main that was about 30 inches by 30 inches explode. And it was across the street from her house and um, how she lived. I have not a clue, but the fire, it was like a giant, you know, blaze and the wind was going this way. And so all nine of her neighbors across the street were instantly incinerated basically. And she managed to get out and, you know, she'd also previously lost my grandfather to a brain tumor um, over the course of a year, it just, she'd been through some really horrible stuff. And yet she was this classy, sophisticated, educated woman who just, she's just everything I'd want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. But here I am dropping F-bombs left, right, and center and let my ass hang out all over the internet. So anyway, when she said to me, my God, you know, I'm so proud of you. It was like, it was, it was everything to me. Um, so yeah, that that's, and, and again, I don't know if the two are correlated in my mind, they are right. Right. But also, you know, the lead up to it is I've been building a brand for six years that lives, eats and breathes this whole ethos of your value is not equated to your exterior, you know, and that our bodies look at what they can do and not what they look like be grateful, you know, that you woke up and you have two legs to stand on and you didn't get them blown off fighting an endless war for somebody else. Right. You know, this is something I keep trying to shift my thinking about is what I'm capable of rather than what it looks like, because, you know, it was funny when somebody, I was talking to someone and they had known me throughout all these changes. And I was like, yeah, if I can just get back down to this certain weight, if I can just lose this this little bit right here, you know, he says, as he pats his stomach. Um, (laughs) and she said to me, you know, John, when you were down to 188 or whatever it was, you were, you were saying kind of the same thing. And just so you know, um, so, you know, I don't know if you're going to be any happier once you get back there or, you know, and there's, there's, there's a very good possibility that I've gained some muscle. Like I can do push-ups I couldn't do before. So, I mean, and so part of me is like, God damn it. No, I just want the number to be low. I don't even want the muscles anymore, but, and I know yeah. it's all, it's all twisted up in here. Right. It and is. then I think, oh, well, fuck it. If I'm going to be miserable anyway, can I just be miserable and skinny? Um, <laughs> because that's like that. And I know that's twisted in my head. And if I just sort out all the shit that's twisted, the belly fat will probably eventually go away. At least that's yeah. in some weird way that's what i'm thinking <laughs> i don't I'll know just but put you on my app john okay put you on my app it, what is the app it's a <clears throat> it's got four different programs but it's a it's programming for you because working out you know it's accountability is a big part and it's really mm-hmm. easy especially with lockdown and all the rest of it if you don't have a group of people you know doing the same thing and motivating you and cheering you on and you know, you don't have the programming and you're doing the same thing. It's really easy to get bored and burnt out. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, that's one of the things I did was launch an app because, um, you know, and I, I talked to a lot of newcomers as well. And I say, like, Hey, one of the best things you can do for yourself is exercise. Even if it's, you know, one round of something, if it's movement for seven minutes, that's going to change your state. Right. Cause that's what happens is we get stuck in these states and these mental, um, patterns and we just go on repeat. And the wild thing is, is learning about our subconscious, you know, it's 40 million times more powerful than our conscious mind. And so I became a site K facilitator, uh, which is similar to something like neuro-linguistic programming, NLP or EFT, which is, you know, the tapping yep. hypnosis, there's all these different modalities to access your subconscious. But I fell in love with site K because a, the practicality of it and B, because there's no ego involved. Every other modality is like, you're doing something to somebody, whereas this is a do with modality. So you're doing it with, you're just the facilitator. You're not the guru, you know, so explain it one. just a little bit. The site K 
Yeah. So the psych stands for, you know, psychological K stands for key, which is, you know, K for key. And the guy that um, he calls himself the originator got a download, you know, and at first I was like, what, you know, our rational mind wants to be like, what do you mean a download? But look at Abraham Hicks, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the teachings of Abraham, Esther Hicks is her name. Sorry. You know, when she channels Abraham, like it's undeniable. I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar? A little bit. I'm yes. I I mean, I know enough to know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. When you listen to this stuff and, you know, you see people who are on a higher level and you start to question, you know, the matrix is still to this date, my favorite movie of all time. Right. And you realize how conditioned and programmed we are from birth and that our beliefs actually control everything. You know, when we come into the rooms and we say, uh, you know, find a higher power and pray. And we're like, yeah, uh, I can't see it. I don't really know how it works. So I don't believe in it. But bitch, yeah. you walk into Starbucks and you're like, yeah, hi, can I have the Wi-Fi password? You're not like, um, excuse me, Shelly, but can you explain to me how this signal goes from the box in the back of your room up to a satellite down into my phone? Otherwise, I'm not going to use it. But you don't walk into a room and flip on the light switch and be like, oh, shit, I can't use this electricity because I don't get it. You know, it's just. Wi-Fi, it's all there's everything. You just accept it. Them. Yeah. That's yeah, a great analogy. Things. Like, look, dude, just Thank take you. the Wi-Fi password and get online. Yes. Um, you know, and I think I was also listening to a podcast uh, about astrology, speaking uh-huh. of these things that can kind of sound a little woo-woo, right? Right. And the woman said something about she's like, I don't always know how it works but it always seems to work for me. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And it struck me that that's exactly how I came toward, I came, uh, came at AA, like when it yeah. finally started working and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, do I really need to have this higher power thing dialed in and figured out exactly? Do I need to have a name for it? Him, her, whatever. Exactly. And I don't, and yeah. I still don't. And I'm working on yeah. that too, but it just, it continues to work. So yeah. like just, the Wi-Fi password. So yeah. the originator, the download. Yeah, the they, he, he was a psychotherapist and he was getting really frustrated because he had, I think one client in particular, he couldn't help. And he went outside and he said, basically, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing? And he was super angry. And all of a sudden he just said he started getting this download and he's not a psychic person, um, you know, but it was crystal clear visual slides of what needed to be done. And he started writing this stuff down. And I mean, I can't question it because when I was on this quest, once I started learning about the power of the subconscious, I wanted to try everything. And once I did Psyche, K, um, there's a process that you do that more or less manifests something that you're working on. And by this point, I'd already had girl in motion you know i had the the brand name the um the logo the concept but we hadn't launched yet we were still working on it so it's not like it wizards stuff out of thin air but i actually did this process with the instructor called back to the future and he said are you prepared for this because it never not works and i was like yeah i'm prepared and sure enough um it started out where i said i have a successful gym clothing line, go through the worksheet. And at the end of it, my belief statement turned into, I have created a revolution. And then uh, it was roughly, I think a month and a half had gone by and we managed to sponsor Holly home who um, fought Ronda Rousey in UFC 193. And the odds were so upside down and we spent our entire, really every single last cent that we had to our name on the sponsorship. And she beat the brakes off of her and we launched that next day and sold in one day what we had anticipated to do in six months. And it was at that point, I knew that this shit worked. And so from there, moving forward, I I put it down because I had a hard time. There's an element of it that includes muscle testing and I had a difficult time with that. And so I put it down and then I revisited it earlier this year and then took um, a few more courses. And now I'm a master facilitator. And my long-term goal is to become an instructor because there's very few people. And the guy who originated it is very protective 
of the um, curriculum, you know, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to get diluted. And so um, there's very few instructors. So I'm, I'm, that is my goal is because I want people to know, you know, we hear, it's like the stuff we hear in the rooms, right? One day at a time, take it easy just for today, keep it simple. And you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, okay. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's similar with Site K where, you know, I'd hear people in this area of empowerment and personal development, subconscious psychology say, you know, humans have more power more potential in the tip of their pinky than, you know, they could ever even imagine. And you're like, well, what does that even mean? You know, and the reality is, is we actually do our subconscious mind. It's like an elephant with an ant. So like your conscious mind is like the size of an ant. And the ant is saying, John, you know, let's go to the gym. And the elephant's like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to get the bag of almonds. Bye. Mm. And the, the elephant will always win. And so from ages zero to eight years old, we create at least 70% of our beliefs and a majority of those are limiting and we're completely unaware of them. And they become programs that run on tape in our supercomputer. But just like we used to use Norton antivirus software, you know, install, uninstall. It's the same thing with our brain. It's like a supercomputer. So these limiting beliefs and programs, you are able to reconstruct and, and re- um, install that stuff. So, you know, we really truly don't realize how important childhood development is, and it can be the most basic thing, you know, like say your dad's pushing you on your bicycle and it's your first time with your training wheels off and he lets go of you and you look behind you and you're like, my dad's abandoned me. My dad's never there. My dad left me. Is that the truth? No. Does your dad know you just made this belief? No. Do you know? Does it go into your subconscious and then dictate what you do for the rest of your life when it comes to abandonment issues? Yes. You know, it's the most simple shit. But That's why you're late to every meeting because you don't want to be there before, you know, uh, you want exactly. to make sure everyone's there before you are. <laughs> exactly. All of these tiny, small things. And then we have yeah. societal beliefs, stuff we hear from other people. They just regurgitate, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Women are the weaker sex, so on and so forth, you know, so yeah. it's super fascinating stuff. And there's so much more to discover after we put down the drugs and alcohol. And often, you know, we still find that we battle other demons and this thing called recovery is a lifelong process. It's just like Brazilian jujitsu. You know, you could be a 30 degree black belt and get your ass kicked by somebody else suddenly because there was something you never thought of, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about it. I, I, I think for a while there, I really thought that I was just going to have it dialed in and then I was going to be done. Right. Right. And you're like, right. oh, of course, no, that's not how it's ever going to work ever again. Correct. And I think, I think that realization has made it, it's made my perception of my failures a little bit easier to say yeah. the least, you know, and right. maybe they're not failures, right. We can call them uh, growth opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> if there you we're go. Being kind to ourselves. But yeah. I, you know, I had, I had a, my thought today was I, I went for a run and it wasn't very long. But again, if you'd asked me to run four miles 10 years ago, I would have, I would have laughed you, you know, laughed at oh, your face. I only but, run from fires. So yeah, that's a long <laughs> run. But, uh, but, you know, it was awful and it hurt and it was painful and it just sucked. And I didn't really feel good afterwards. And I was just right. like, and the only thing I felt was like, the part of myself that hates myself hates myself a little bit less for having done it. So right. that's going to be my win for today and I yeah. will move on. Yeah. Um, but I think anything in, in the way of, of being able to help, I mean, it really is a whole restructuring of our brains, what we've done with recovery, right. With AA or however you get there. Like, I don't think it's important as far as the program that you use, because yeah. I know lots of people who do not and who have been extraordinarily successful without it. Right. So, um, it's but amazing. it really is a retraining. Yeah. yeah. So, 100%. um, so couple things, tell me about this memoir. Yes, it's, please. um, thank you for asking. And don't let me forget. I'm just going to add you to my app. I've written myself a note and okay. I'm going to give you a couple months on there to, okay. It makes no difference to me. Like it's a, uh, one or 20,000. It makes no difference. So 
Um, I would love to see you progress in strength training and not just be running because it's something else happens when we start building muscles, you know? So, and that, Oh, so, and then there's, that was the other thing is I hurt my back swinging a kettlebell around because I didn't know yep. what the hell I was doing. And I'm 44 yeah. and I've never, you know, done any strength training. And then that yeah. like derailed 2021, but right. anyhow, that was, <laughs> that was like a nine month injury. Yeah. I mean, you can really jack your back up doing, you yeah. know, doing basic stuff when, yeah. So, so thank you for, for yeah, adding absolutely. me to that. Um, absolutely. But, but the memoir, please. But the memoir. Yeah. It took me 10 years. I mean, this conversation could start up another hour conversation. I mean, this one question could start up another hour conversation and it's um, summer out here in Australia and I have all the windows shut. So I'll um, do my best to keep this super short. Um, my, yeah, the book I started writing 10 years ago. So when I said I got paid $500 an hour to stand around and flex, I found myself in the muscle fetish industry and no sex. This is, this is like mind blowing stuff, but discovering that there is a whole world of men out there who are obsessed with strong women. So they're obsessed from things like calf muscles, biceps, um, through to wrestling and then lifting carry. They like to get picked up and carried around. Um, and that's how I started crushing watermelons between my legs. So something called scissoring. So you choke guys out with your legs and I break ribs. And I mean, it's quite remarkable. Uh, so I started writing about that 10 years ago because I wanted women to know that what people found beautiful was not on the cover of a fucking magazine. And it wasn't Kate Moss and her size zero legs. It was a big, strong, powerful woman. And not one of them gave a single shit about cellulite dimples or wrinkles or any of that, you know? So that's why I started writing this book. And then of course my story evolved into all sorts of wild adventures and, um, is now ended on me creating this remarkable life. You know, even today, there's so much stress involved with running this brand and doing what we do, but, you know, um, it's way better than waking up and wondering, you know, if I lost my license and I ran over somebody because I was a blackout drinker on a daily basis that got behind the wheel. And I am incredibly grateful that I am sitting here alive and I haven't killed anybody yeah. or caused bodily harm to anybody, which to me is a fucking absolutely miraculous. So yeah, the memoir is on um, Amazon. I self-published because at the height of the pandemic was when I was more or less you know, getting into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, and I didn't want to wait another two to three years. Cause I thought, my God, we might not even be here as a species. Um, but yeah, I hit the best-selling mark. Very proud of that accomplishment. I don't give myself enough credit for, it as we do. oh shit. It's called crushing it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Crushing it. The whole watermelon thing. Right. Because, right. Yes. You know, the whole premise of growing up hating my legs to then being called the woman with the world's deadliest thighs by the Stan Lee creator of Marvel comics is quite the 360, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it makes for a, a great story and um, it's, it's a interesting read. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then the name of the app. Is oh, the, the app, app. Yes. My um, first and last name. So it's just Courtney Olson and okay. it's not, you can't find it in the app store cause it's through a link only. Um, but then on the website, there's four different programs. So there's okay. Recomp, which is a recomposition. It's another name for fat loss. I don't like the, the word fat loss because, you know, in this day and age, there are so much fat phobia and so many people who um, we need fat to survive. You know, it's just a matter of changing the composition of say your vital organs would like to have a little bit more ease when it comes to that type of thing. So we call it Recomp. There's one called, um, uh, body, uh, body fit, which is an at-home training program, um, get massive, which is what I'm on. You know, it's a bodybuilding strength program to take up more space and encourage women to get bigger legs and, and men, this is for everybody and all sure. between, and then, um, a backbones program for people who have a bad back. Cause I spent a majority of my life with a bad back. And it turns out that comes from, having overactive quads and underactive posterior chain. So once I started training my hamstrings and my glutes, right. Cause us alcoholics like to see progress. We like to see everything in front of us. That's why I have the forward shoulder roll <laughs> because 
you know, I want to see everything in front of me. You don't want to train the small muscles in the back and all the rest of it. So we like instant gratification, you know, um, yeah. so that's what our program is, but it's, yeah, that's all on my website. Yeah. Take more squats and less bike riding, huh? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine, fine, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. all the things I don't want to do. Right. Um, yeah. but, uh, and then, and then the, the clothing line girl, that's, uh, yeah. thank you. It's, it's there. It's, um, it's like on the arm G R R R L girl. Uh, our sizing can be quite complicated at first, but once you get the hang of it, our live chat is there. And we do this because we want to erase the stigma around, you know, being a number and women, um, shouldn't have to be in a different category, whether you're petite or plus size, we're all just bodies. So we carry like 10 different shapes and, um, you know, this way you get to identify with a powerful athlete, as opposed to a number that some bloke made up in the 1940s from the department of agriculture, um, and you get to be a part of a sisterhood. So when you see another awesome. girl in girl clothing, you know, straight away that she is your sister and not your competition. And on all of our hang tags, we have the pledge, which is, um, was created at camp confidence for the teenage girls and we get them to say it. And then they'd give each other this little crappy cyan band, you know, like a live strong band. But the idea was, is that they saw another teenager out somewhere in the city you know, they knew straight away that that wasn't their competition because these girls are so horrible to each other in terms of bullying now because of social media. So it was to create this movement. And now it is, you know, something that expands the entire globe as opposed to eight to 10 teenage girls in a tiny corner of Australia. And instead of a cyan band, it is now a bra or a pair of leggings or a hoodie. And the pledges, I solemnly swear to the best of my ability to refrain from talking negatively about myself as well as other girls. I am an equal amongst my peers and I do not see myself as neither better than nor less than. Through this pledge of non-judgment, I understand and embrace that I'm having a positive impact on the world and furthering the global revolution of body acceptance. I take this pledge. It's a mouthful, Man. but when you say it, you know, it has an impact because so many of us don't have awareness around how negative we are towards ourselves. And when we hate ourselves, we hate everybody else and we see them as competition. And that's why we believe we're held back as a gender is because girls are programmed to see each other as competition. And that's how we measure up. So that's a, a successful effort in mitigating that propaganda. That's awesome. That's really great. Um, <laughs> I have two more questions. You bet. Uh, the first one is, what is something that you struggle with today in recovery? Sleeping. Or in general, um, sleeping. Okay. Yeah, that's a great <clears throat> question. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I am going through perimenopause and even though I'm 40, it's been happening for four years and sleep is my number one thing out of that halt acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, uh, tiredness is the one I just simply cannot deal with. And my life falls apart when I don't sleep. And, um, I am going from four hours to now zero. Um, and it's just been hellacious and nobody has an answer. So that's, that's really been challenging and been yeah. challenging my sobriety. Cause that, you know, uh, 11 and a half years, I, um, am like, God, I would love a drink right now just to fall asleep. I purely would just drink just to fall asleep, you know, and I've, I've tried all sorts of various things, medical marijuana, um, indica gummies before bed to go to sleep. Those don't work. You know, I mean, from that to, uh, Zolpidem, which is Ambien, XR, extended relief, you know, that gives me four hours of sleep. Um, nothing is working. And so now I'm to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get my insides taken out. Uh, I'll get a hysterectomy, you know, um, because, you know, talking to my sponsor, I'm like, I don't know what else to try. I've literally tried everything that's out there. And, you know, this is, as we said, an opportunity to practice acceptance. Yeah. Suck it. You know, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I agree. Is. I have the same sentiment so many times about so many things. So yes, my soul signed up for that. And for anybody who's uh. new, who's listening to this, I do not recommend, I mean, this is just my experience. Um, and uh, medicinal marijuana. It's not something that was ever for me. It wasn't my jam. Um, and I, you know, something I, everybody's recovery is different, you know, and I talked to yeah. my sponsor about this specifically 
um, when this started to become an issue for me, uh, I don't recommend, you know, I don't recommend that for everybody. And it's something you need to be very upfront with and talk to your sponsor about. So I just want to be super clear on that. So I had a similar uh, with, I was really concerned about my back and I was having another issue with my foot and it was, it was bothering me sleeping as well. Yeah. And I was like, well, what's up with the CBD stuff? And so I had to yep. do all this research about it and um, just trying to figure out like full spectrum versus broad spectrum. I'm like CBN, CBG, what's the thing for, there's the one for inflammation. There's the one that's help, supposed to help you sleep. And it was all the stuff. And I was like, I don't want to fuck up, you know, right? <laughs> right. Sobriety. And it's like, well, John, like this is getting a little more than just not fucking up your sobriety. Like we've got right. problems we need to try and address and let us try and use the tools that we have and not feel guilty about it. Right. And exactly. so I think and that's, that that's thing. everybody's got a different experience. You yeah. know, it's like, well, for some person, you know, they would rather, you know, they're taking Xanax versus something that grew out of the ground. Everybody's got a different response. You know, some people right. can't even drink NyQuil um, because of the 10% alcohol in there. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. You know, the other day, other day, this was like three months ago. And actually it was that night we went out and, um, I was with two other, a couple that are sober and a best friend of mine. And then my husband, and we went to a comedy club and ordered Shirley temples and they brought us back. It was, they were probably like half full of vodka. And I took two long, hard pulls off of it and immediately swallowed. I was like, uh-oh. And I'm like, the waitress was like, oh, sorry, we'll get you a virgin Shirley Temple. We're like, when the fuck did a Shirley Temple become non <laughs> What? Yeah. Anyway, I told the manager and he comped everything and he actually almost had tears in his eyes. He looked so mortified. He must've had somebody in recovery. You know, he, he knew. I said, look, sir, I have 11 years sober. You could have just ruined my entire life. You could have killed me. I mean, this is, this is serious yeah. shit, you know? Um, but again, so everybody responds differently you know yeah. it's a, and that's one thing that's been great about social media is because i find myself um judging people when i see them on there as sober coaches you know i'm like just go to fucking aa it's free you know why are you trying to capitalize on you know and i get pissed off but then i'm like courtney it, this isn't your place to judge and you know there's so many different ways that people get clean and sober like this isn't this isn't your fight to fight, you know? Um, and some people, I thought about becoming a sober coach myself because there are plenty of people out there who are heavy drinkers who don't necessarily need AA, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. You no, know, but my ego is like, well, this is bullshit, you know? Right. So, and I guess if, so if one person wants to be a sober coach and they help one other person and they make yeah. some money off of it, then whatever. I mean, like whatever. it's none of my, exactly. and, and I know what you mean. I roll my eyes all the time and I'm like, but again, that's my, that's, a, that's my thing. That's my right, problem. That's our shit. It's real <laughs> hypocritical of me to get all hyphy. And I'm like, well, bitch, you wrote a book about it. Right. You know? So I mean, um, fuck, I make a dollar off of each copy if that, so, <laughs> right. but, you know, that's, that's my resentment to deal with and, yeah. you know, let people, <laughs> let people do what they want to do. It's none of my yeah. fucking business. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, but anything outside the circle is none of my fucking business. That's what's up. So then my final question is somebody wanting to get sober or any sort of piece of advice that you might have for somebody who's having some difficulty or, or struggling in early sobriety right now, what would you say to them? That's a great question. Um, something that I heard in a meeting in the last go around, uh, was you are exactly where you're meant to be at every given second of your journey. And that was really comforting to me. And subsequently, you know, this is obviously not um, conference approved literature, but I read a book, actually it was an audio book called, um, uh, your life's purpose, or is it, uh, I always forget the title of it, um, by Dr. Robert Schwartz is his name. It's either your life's, I'm pretty sure it's your life's purpose, but he does past life regressions and talks about how our soul signed up for whatever bag of shit that we're experiencing. You know, if someone opens up a fucking box and it's a pipe bomb and it blows off half their face and they end up living or, you know, um, the alcoholic son who crashes and kills somebody and the mom's left with the wreckage, that mom signed up for that experience. Um, and that's all we're here to do is to come down and to learn. And sadly, some of us don't make it, you know, but we practice the art of detachment and, 
you know, refocus and be like, okay, I came here to learn. That's all I'm here to do. When I die, I can't take any of this shit with me, you know, um, because I was so um, driven by financial insecurity when I first got here and still partially am. It's still something I have to work through on a daily basis, especially with running a multi-million dollar global company. It's uh, with very little cash flow through a pandemic. It's stressful, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, whatever old shit you're going through, know that your soul signed up for exactly what it is that you're experiencing and you're right where you're meant to be. Um, hopefully that will give you some kind of reprieve because it did for me. At least for the day, right? That's, that's, that's right. That's, it's, it's just, <laughs> just for, the for daily today, reprieve. bitch. <laughs> um, Courtney, thank you so much. This was, this was awesome. I have, thank I could, you. I could talk to you. I would love to talk to you about body image for like another hour and try and sort oh, my yeah. own shit out. But, um, We'll Thank hit a you. Meeting. I'll yes. be rolling through uh, Sonoma <laughs> County very soon. And, Let me know. Uh, I will. I'm based in Vegas usually. So I'm, you know, I'm from Las Vegas. I was born and raised there. Stop it. Born and raised there. I lived on Bonanza and Lamb. I lived on Decatur oh and Flamingo. Um, I lived, I lived, uh, yeah. So I was there until I, until I was 18 and then I got the fuck out of there. Oh my God. I can imagine. <laughs> so, oh, um, wild. How funny. I went to, Small I went world. to high school in downtown Las Vegas. Um, yeah. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. So amazing. We'll definitely get a meeting one of these days. Absolutely. You can count on that, man. Thank All you. Right. Thank All you right, very brother. much. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>